Good morning, church family. A couple of uh, housekeeping items I wanted to address this morning. Don Beasley passed away this week in Middle Tennessee. For those of you who haven't been here uh, quite as long as some of our other members, uh, there is an address that we were given for his daughter. If you would like to send a sympathy card to them, the family has requested that we do not send sympathy cards to his wife. She's in the memory care unit down the street here because that she's not been told that he passed away. They didn't want to put her through unnecessary grief. Uh, so just be praying for that family. Uh, second of all, wanted to announce that uh, I got I got one announcement. I got a real happy announcement, and then we'll do Memorial Day recognition. But uh, we'll have a special call business meeting next week at ten o'clock in the sanctuary. There are three motions on the floor. You've been in your uh, newsletter. There's been printouts here been available. Uh, if you'd like to vote in absentia, you can uh, this week in the church office. One is to send me and Michael to the convention. Two is on the church sign. There's a question next answer session to replace it. It is going out. It is dying. It's one thing we've, deterred, we've put off and put off and put off. We can't get all of the electrical components to work inside anymore and it's chipping off. And then the final thing is on uh, a trial period for the swimming pool from June to September. So just a trial to see if that would work or not, uh, being open to small groups or Sunday school classes or ministries of the church using it wouldn't necessarily be for individual use. So those three things are to be voted on in the business meeting next week. Uh, just a few minutes ago, while I was a little late and why I couldn't, didn't have all my stuff together, I was just uh, sharing the gospel with young Case Cornett, who prayed this morning to receive Jesus as his Lord and Savior. So that happened right before this service. So praise God for that, right? And... Uh, Another soul comes to know Jesus, and, and the heavens rejoice, so, and we rejoice as well. Uh, Vacation Bible School is starting this Wednesday, so I hope everybody will be here for that. If you're still needing placement or you've talked to me, I have a couple of assignments that I need filled. Please come see me. We'll take care of that. All right. Well, it is Memorial Day weekend, and uh, for those of you who are veterans in here, you know well that Memorial Day is to remember those who have fallen while serving in active duty. They have fallen active duty. So they were not uh, necessarily killed in action in a war, but they died while they were active duty. This morning, if you have a loved one or a friend who was who died while serving our country in active duty, would you please raise your hand this morning? Raise your hand if anyone knows a friend or family back there. Okay. I'd like to just take a moment of silence this morning for those who have given their life for the freedoms that we enjoy here. And then we'll begin with our sermons. So please just join me in a moment of silence for those who have passed while serving. out against me, even though I am, will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek Him in His temple. Lord, as we bow our heads today, we remember those who paid the ultimate price to give their lives for their country. We can never be grateful enough for the sacrifices that they made. We are humbled by their willingness to own lives aside for the benefit of ours. Father, we pray that 
their sacrifices would be remembered and that we would never forget the loss of those heroes. We pray for their family and their friends in this time and we remember them this weekend in your holy name, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to take them and turn with me to Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through, we're going to actually try to make it down to 39. And we have been seeing here in Luke as we've been moving through the question that was being asked last week was, who are Jesus's true followers? The question that Luke is taking us back to today is, who is Jesus Christ? Some would look at these two stories, and by the way, could somebody grab me a bottle of lukewarm water, like room temperature water? When we look at these two stories, uh, we are seeing here, some would say, these two stories, these two, actually, it's it's more correct to say narratives because a story could be made up. These two narratives are unrelated. I think these two narratives are very related. We're going to see Jesus calm the storm, which means he is Lord over the physical realm and all things that are physical in nature. And then the second one we're going to see, Jesus has dominion and rules the spiritual realm as well. So we see the physical and the spiritual together. Excuse me. So let's look at this and see this in the Word of God. <clears throat> Hear the Word of God, church. Luke 8.22 says this. On one day he got into a boat with his disciples and said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they sent out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they, feel, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the, wave, and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And look what it says, church. And... They were, what, afraid? And they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that commands even winds and water, and they obey? And they obey him. Then they sailed to the country of Gerasenes, which is the opposite of Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons, for a long time he wore no clothes. He had, no, he had not lived in houses but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But the world broke, but, but he would break the, the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons have entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now in a large herd of pigs were feeding on the hillside and they begged him to let him enter these. So he gave them permission 
Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and they heard rush down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And these who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people of the surrounding country, the Gehersenes, asked him to depart from them. They were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from the whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Amen. May God add blessing to the reading of his holy, inspired, inerrant word. And I pray he writes this truth on all of our hearts this morning. There was a book that came out by a skeptic a few years ago called Why I'm Not a Christian. And one of the reasons he gave is found in this text this morning about Jesus letting these pigs be destroyed. And he said, this is the reason why I don't think Jesus is good. Let all those pigs be destroyed and put the livelihood of this individual out. Well, I don't think that's a very good reason. And we're going to deal with that in just a minute. But before we do, let's look at the first narrative passage here with Jesus calming the storm. There is nothing, there is nothing really that is a better picture of the brokenness of creation than a storm. How many of you have ever been in a storm in your life and you have been fearful whenever the storm rose up, right? You know, usually storms are... um, There are places that storms are very well known to happen. Storms happen here in East Tennessee. We live in a place where hot fronts and cold fronts battle all the time. Warm air masses and cold air mattresses. Cold air mattresses. They're coming for all of us. Tell your friends. (laughs) Warm and cold air masses are constantly battling uh, here. And so we have this collision of air masses and jet stream. And we have these violent storms at times. I think the worst storm I've seen since I've lived here was a few years ago when they called it, I think they called it straight line winds. Do y'all remember that? When it kind of ripped through here, there was a couple camping up by Fish Springs Marina that was killed that weekend. It was, it was terrible. I was coming through downtown here uh, at Elizabeth and everything just went dark. I mean, it went dark. The winds came in, uh, the city was dark, no power. And uh, everybody was just kind of like, whoa, you know. You know, the Sea of Galilee is positioned in an interesting place as far as battles for hot and cold air goes. To the east of the Sea of Galilee, you have a desert. So it's a lot of of, uh, heat there. Hot air masses could be coming in and blowing in from that direction. We see this too, right? Sometimes our weather will come from the east. Usually, in the wintertime, if a weather pattern shifts from the east, it's really bad for us, right? If you've ever watched the weather or interest in such things. A lot, a lot of times, though, it comes from the west, right? What is to the west of the Sea of Galilee? you got the Mediterranean Sea. So you've got, you know, uh, you can have storm fronts coming in, rolling off the ocean there. And then to the north, you have Mount Hermon, snow-capped north, high elevation there. 
So it is like this perfect area where storms can be whipped up quickly. Uh, I think I've preached on this in Mark before. Mark gives another account of the same, I think, story, the same narrative. And it reminds me in some ways of Watauga Lake, right? I mean, when you think about, you know, a beautiful scene, I think about Watauga Lake early in the morning when the water's just like glass. Have you ever been out there and seen it when the steam is slowly rolling off and it's like glass? It's beautiful and it's amazing. But have you ever seen Watauga Lake during a storm? (laughs) Have you ever seen it during a violent storm when the waves are white capping? Uh, I think, weren't you guys there when the straight line winds came in, Michelle? It's brutal. Like, it is scary. Uh, you know, it, it, it is bad. You know, we all like the ocean, right? We like going to the ocean. We enjoy sitting on the beach. It's very serene. But nobody likes the ocean to be in the living room of the condo you're staying in, right? We, we don't like it when creation turns on us, when the thing that we've come to to relax and enjoy turns on us, and that's what a storm is, right? You know, in, in here we have violent storms, but there are places in the U.S. that have more violent storms than we see on a regular basis. I think a lot about Tornado Alley because Becky's from the Midwest. We lived in the Midwest. Man, you know, that stretch of Oklahoma all the way up into Indiana, there are no mountains to shield you. When the winds come in and rip through there, uh, it is violent, and it leaves a path of destruction. We saw one storm come in in Henryville while we were there, it was scary, okay? Uh, another thing that uh, we see in this is that <clears throat> Jesus has been tired, right? We've seen from the previous narrative. He has been preaching to the people, taught them the, the parable of the sowers. In addition to that, he is dealing with what I'm going to call the press of the people. Now, if you don't know what that is, I'm going to try to explain that to you. I have pastor friends, and we, we talk about this. When you preach the gospel, it is spiritually, physically, and emotionally draining. It makes you tired, okay? Uh, I know that probably doesn't look like I'm doing a whole lot up here when I'm preaching and teaching, but I assure you, as we've seen in the last sermon, it's a spiritual warfare component and element uh, to this thing. So you're tired. But something else that makes you just about as tired as preaching the gospel is the press of the people, right? And what I mean by that is, and we love it because we're called to love, but it's tiring. You know, you have to give your, giving your full attention to 100 people, 200 people, however how many you have in your church on Sunday morning, being the best you can to get to everybody when you're just one person. It's, it's tiring. I had one pastor friend tell me that he thought the press of the people was more tiring than actually preaching itself. I don't know that I agree with that necessarily, but it wears you out. You can ask Becky, most Sunday afternoons, there's a point after I eat lunch that I'm gone. I just have to rest and close my eyes for a little bit. So Jesus does this. He climbs into the boat and he he passes out. He's tired. And it's interesting to me, this boat would have probably been a boat, a fishing boat of some kind, probably could have seated around 30 people to transport and get across the Sea of Galilee. Um, I would say the disciples are in there, the 12 disciples. And most likely, the women who were mentioned at the start of verse of chapter 8 are in the boat with him as well. There is a present active indicative that is here. It is, tells us that this storm starts. It comes up very quickly. On Watauga Lake, there's a similar thing. Most of the times, particularly depending on where you are on Watauga Lake, you don't see a storm until it's on you, right? Which is why if uh, you're going to buy a boat on Watauga Lake, get one with a lot of horses, 
because you need to giddy up and get out of town quickly sometimes on Watauga Lake if the storm bears in on you. Same thing here with the Sea of Galilee. They, the storms would just come up on you on a snap of a finger quickly, quickly. And it says here, President Academy, and then it, look, at, look how it's stated here. The situation is dire. It says in 23, came down the lake, they were filling with water. The boat is filling with water and we're in danger. Danger of what? Danger of sinking. I, I don't know if you have ever been on the lake in a storm. It's uber scary. Here's, here's a couple of quick observations about being in a lake during a storm. First of all, you're the tallest object on the water, right? Which is a little bit uh, unnerving. If you have a pontoon boat, not only are you the tallest object on the water, you're on a metal sled on the water, right? That's a little daunting as well. This is what we call a lightning attractor, right? So you don't want to be out there during thundering and lightning. And it doesn't say that in the text, but it says here, whatever kind of storm it was, usually that's part of it. Uh, in addition to that, you know, you, you have to sort of try your best to control the bolt in such a way that the front bow is not just acting like a spoon dipping water into the boat. So you want to kind of run the throttle, uh, what we call in boating, level off the boat. You want it to be kind of not leveled off so that the the front of the bow is taking the beating and it's not being scooped into the boat and sinking. We had a tri-hull one time when I was younger and my dad and my uncle and my grandfather were fishing on Douglas Lake and they were back in a holler, okay? So there were no winds or nothing where they were. They were wearing the fish out. My mom and my aunt and my grandmother became very uh, scared because it was white capping on Douglas Lake and they had no idea where they were. People were coming off the lake left and right. They still hadn't come in and uh, so they sent out the authorities cops and everything. They had boats out looking for them. They were just back in this cove fishing. No idea it was that bad. Finally, when they came out to Douglas Lake white capping like this, there was a minter bucket in the front. My grandfather told my, my young uncle then, he was probably in his 20s, he said, Jeff, run up there and, and grab that minter bucket. He said, to heck with that minter bucket, Dad. I'm staying right here, right? Because it's scary. It is scary to be in a storm. You know, that, that thing, uh, minter buckets are 20 bucks. You know, uncles and kids are, are not replaceable. You know what I mean? So let the better bucket go. In a similar fashion here, you know, they're standing here in this boat. White caps, I'm sure, all around. Fear is wrapping around them. They're ankle deep. They're knee deep in this thing. And what do they do? They turn to Christ. They wake him from this. And look what they say. Master, master. Now, if you compare this story to the other gospels, they all have a different reference to him by name. Luke records master, master. Another gospel writer says rabbi, rabbi. Another gospel writer says teacher, teacher. What I think is going on with that is they're all screaming and yelling for him to wake up with whatever word is handy that they use. Wake up, dad, daddy, please wake up, right? Rabbi, teacher, bastard, get up, right? They're all pressed here and they're all trying to get his attention to wake him from this deep sleep, which is almost a miracle that he could sleep through something like this anyway. Um, So... So anyway, so what happens here? Well, one of the things we're learning here is that while we maybe have never been on Watauga Lake in a storm, we presently live in multiple storms in our lives, right? And you got two options. You can either be in the storm with Christ in the boat with you, or you can try it on your own. Let's, let's examine these two options for just a minute. 
If Christ is with you in the boat, like he was the disciples, and they turn to him in this situation, one truth comes out of this, right? What does Jesus do when they turn to him for help? He calms the storm, doesn't he? Immediately rebukes it in the wind and the rain. They remember, they know who he is. He made them. He speaks a word in a universe that is 14 billion light years in diameter is immediately formed. Jesus Christ speaks the word, rebukes the wind. They remember being created by him, right? They know and they listen and they stop. What do we learn from this? One thing we learn is this. For every believer, for everyone who has Christ in the boat with them, every storm is temporary. It's temporary. Now I know it don't feel temporary when you're in a storm, right? When you're in the middle of a storm and the water is ankle deep and then it's knee deep and then it's past your knees and you're crying out and screaming as lightning and thunder's crashing around you, you think, I'm not going to make it out of this one. And even if you don't make it out of it physically, you still make it out spiritually, don't you? Every storm for a believer is temporary, right? The, the, the thing to do here is to trust Christ no matter what. Trust Christ when it doesn't make sense. Trust Christ when the water in the boat is still rising. Trust Christ when everybody else around you thinks you're foolish for doing so. That's when you cling to him the most. But now let's think about it the opposite way. What if, what if you don't have Christ in your boat with you? The Bible tells us the rain falls on the just and the unjust. The storms come for everybody. It's not a question of if a storm will hit your life. It will. There's no question. What happens when you don't have Christ in the boat with you and you hit the storm? Well, here's what happens. For every unbeliever, every storm is mild by comparison to the coming storm of the wrath of God. Every storm is mild compared to the coming storm of the wrath of God. You think it's bad now? You wait. You wait for the great white throne judgment. See, here's the beautiful thing, right? In Jesus Christ, he took the wrath of God. He took the worst of the blunt of the storm for us so that we can come out victorious and the storms in our lives are temporary. But that's not so for those who row a boat without Christ on board. They don't have that assurance. And so every storm they face, every one they narrowly get through, every one that appears to be temporary is just a small drop in the ocean compared to the wrath that will come. So Jesus here has authority over the physical realm. And there is, not only that, there's an analogy here for us too. But not all storms are physical. Not all storms in a believer's life are belonging to materialistic realm or to, to, to boats and lakes and things like that or to family members or things like that or death or external circumstances. A lot of storms are internal, aren't they? Storms of depression, storms of grief, Storms of loss, it's internal. Storms of oppression, mental, spiritual, the heart in bondage. And that's what this next passage is about. Here we encounter a man who is demon-possessed. Now, as I read a minute ago, there are pigs involved in this story. So what's something we learn from this? 
How much bacon did the average rabbi eat in, in any given morning? Zero. This is a Gentile settlement in Israel. These aren't Jews. Okay? What are we seeing in that? One thing we're seeing is God has always had a heart for all people, not just the Jews, right? In the Old Testament, we saw him send a prophet to Nineveh because was Nineveh part of God's people? Was he, were they part of the Jews? No. But he, they got sent a prophet anyway. Well, here in the eastern part of Israel, there is a settlement of, of Gentiles, pagans, right? They raise pork and they eat pork. So that explains that. And there is a man that we encounter here, a man who is demon-possessed. Now, before this sermon gets really weird, let me, let me make a couple points about demon possession. First point, and probably the most important point is, we don't know a lot about it. You could do an academic study on possession and write a peer-reviewed paper and use some of the best conservative, solid evangelical writers, and at the conclusion of your writing, you would find we still don't know a whole lot about it. There's a few things I can say with confidence. I'll say this. If you have Christ in your life, if you have been saved, while you may be oppressed by demons, you'll never be possessed by demons. The Holy Spirit keeps any kind of demonic possession from happening to a believer. So this is somebody who didn't know Christ, somebody who never understood the gospel, who didn't know who God was, and he is being here oppressed. A few observations here about the characteristics of demonic activity, right? First of all, in what condition does Jesus find this man? Well, he's naked, right? Uh, what's the East Tennessee word for naked? Isn't there a certain way that some say it around here? He's naked, right? Run around the tomb naked. No clothes. First thing that demons have no problem with when they are oppressing or possessing somebody is there is no shame whatsoever. They do shameless actions. Nudity is not a problem and it bothers them none, right? Second thing we see here is isolation. Where does this man live? Does he live in a house with the rest of the Gentiles? No. It says here that the spirits would drive him to where? The desert? And drive him also to what? The tombs. Two things we learn from that. One, demons seek to continually sever God, gospel-centered community. The devil does not want people to be a part of gospel-centered community. Demons don't want that. Not only do they want them to sever community with other believers or with believers, they want them separated from community with any other person. By the way, did you know that one of the most torturous forms of, of punishment in the prison system in the, in the United States was what they call the hole? They would lock people up by themselves. I read an account once. They actually stopped doing it for long periods of time because of it had such a detrimental effect to the mental capacity of the prisoner. One prisoner was locked up for over a year by himself. He had no human contact whatsoever. They would slide his meals under the door and not speak to him. You know what he said happened after about eight or nine months? He said he began to hear voices. It was, it was destroying him mentally to be severed from any kind of community. Even bad community was better than no community with other human beings. God did not design us to be isolated from one another, right? So a, a sign of demonic activity is isolation. No community, no shame. Another thing that we see, he went to the desert and he went to the where? Where, do we, where does Jesus find him? In the tombs, right? 
He's obsessed with death. Demonic activity is always obsessed with death and destruction. He probably had no will to live, and yet these demons torture him and keep him alive and must have some sort of joy in doing so. And then finally, last observation here of a man who is demon-possessed, he has supernatural abilities. The people in that town feared him, right? What did they do in that narrative? Do you remember what they did to try to contain him? They put what on him? Shackles, chains. And what's he do? Breaks them loose. No man could do that in the area. But a man oppressed by demons is able to do it. Notice a few things here. Tell us about the characteristics of demons. First of all, they were angels at one point. So they... Bible says, left their first lot, their first estate, fell with Lucifer in rebellion against God. They were angels. We know from 1 Peter chapter 2 that some of them are locked up in the abyss. The Bible seems to make an indication that some roam free and some are locked up, and I don't know why one is one way and one is the other. They recognize truth. How many times have we seen demons proclaim who Jesus is through this gospel? They know who he is. And in the ancient world, they kind of thought if you could name someone by their correct name, you could have some kind of power over them. But of course, these demons recognize they can't have power over Jesus by the statement that they give. And then I don't know why this is the case. You know, demons don't have a body, a physical body like we do, but they desire one. I don't know why they desire one. I don't know what it is. You know, the best I can give you is this. There is a, uh, there is a passage in Scripture that talks about uh, those who have died, and it, it makes the reference in the word in the Greek is almost like the spirit is naked. It is naked without a body. There's no physical body. We believe human bodies are special, important, because they're made in the image of God. So we believe that human bodies should be pr- treated with an amount of dignity, even after the soul has left and has entered that kind of in-between state. So how do we, how do we kind of think about this? Well, Jesus here calls him out, right? He says, what's your name? Something interesting to me about this. When Jesus asked this man his name, does the man give him his actual name? The demons speak for him, don't they? Reminds me of the scene, if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, where they gather at the Black Gate towards the end of the book, book six, and uh, the the person that comes down, this, this uh, lieutenant of Saruman, who's like the henchman of the devil in that world, he doesn't have a name. He's just a mouthpiece for Saruman, for the evil one. And that's kind of what's happening here. You know, when Jesus told the story of rich man Lazarus, we got Lazarus' name. He's carried to Abraham's bosom. What was the rich man's name again? Do you remember? Of course you don't. Because when you're in hell, your name doesn't matter. And to demons, you don't matter. Your name doesn't matter. So whenever Jesus said, what's your name? This thing answers, things answer, legion. Meaning thousands, right? Thousands of them. There is, you know, uh, a, it's like a large gathering of troops. Now, I don't know how many was there. It could have been puffing himself up some. In another gospel, we read there's about 2,000 pigs that, that kill themselves here. And by the way, I was very tempted to call this sermon mass suicide. Some of you will get that later. All right, one more. I was thinking about this text, okay? Go home, look at the map. 
where these pigs died, their bodies would have been floating around the Sea of Galilee, then they would have been in the river, then the river would have ended up down in the Dead Sea, which is very salty. So the conclusion of this whole thing is really you end up with salted pork. Okay, that's it, that's it. Okay, I'm going to move on. It's the last one I'm going to make on that one. Sorry. <laughs> Moving on. These, these pigs killed themselves, which is why our friend struggles with Christianity for some reason. This is a bad thing. And some have asked, why did Jesus allow them to go in the pigs? Why not just cast them into the abyss right away? The answer again, I'm sorry I don't have a lot of good answers for you this morning, but the answer again is we don't know for certain. Now, I'll give you the best guess that I've read, okay? And I think this is probably right. This makes, this makes the most sense. This makes sense to me because every time Jesus heals somebody, there's a kingdom meaning behind it. There's, a, there's an image that's there. I, I think this is a corporeal. So corporeal is just a big fancy word that means a flesh and blood image of the, of the ultimate destiny of every demon. Every demon will be caught, cast into the lake of fire, right? These demons going into the pigs and being cast into the, lake, the Sea of Galilee, into the water, into the lake, and it taking them down and drowning them, shows a picture of the judgment that will come and the demons will be cast down into the lake of fire for eternity. And that makes sense to me. I think that's probably right and that's what we're going to go with this morning. Okay? Now, enough about demons. Enough about salted pork. Let's move on to the characteristics of salvation. <clears throat> what are the characteristics of salvation that we see in this man who is rescued from this atrocious existence? Well, first and foremost, we see a man who desires Jesus Christ, right? He wants to be around him. He wants to be with him. Whatever it costs, whatever it takes, he wants to be there. Second of all, we see as a desire for holiness. Is the man still naked when the pigs are cast into the demons going to the pigs? No, he, the Bible says he's clothed. He is pursuing to be like Christ. There is a pursuit of holiness from a desire to be with Christ. Third thing here, he has clarity of mind. His thoughts are now his own and his thoughts are fixed on Jesus. And then finally, there's a willingness here to obey. He wants to be with him, but what does Jesus tell him? Does Jesus say, sit on the boat with me and come with me and go to the next town? What's he tell him to do? Go back into your country and among your people and tell them what? What you've done. Now, what is people's reaction to this? When people see these miracles happen, how do they react? You know, in Sunday school this morning, we talked about what would it take for an unbeliever to have enough evidence to believe in Christianity? What would it take? I remember asking a guy one time I was on a mission trip in Philadelphia. I asked a hot dog vendor guy, I said, what would it take for you to believe in Christ as your Lord and Savior and to trust him alone for salvation? And you know what he said? Signs, miracles. We could just see a miracle. Let me ask you something. Did you see two miracles in the passage today? Was there a miracle with the, with the storm? Was there a miracle with the demons? What's people's reactions to miracles? Let's look and see what the scripture tells us. Look at verse 25. He said, where is your faith? And they were afraid. And then look at this. In Whenever the, the people come and they see these pig herders tell everybody what's happened. And we see right here, the people come and they observe this man who had been chained, broke chains, who had been obsessed with death, ran naked in the tombs. They see him sitting there. Right-minded, clothed, 
devoted to Christ. A miracle has happened. And it says here in verse 37, for they were seized with great fear. Right? They asked him to do what? Leave. Here's the reality of this text. You either proclaim Jesus or you send him away. What is hell? Hell is packed with people who sent Christ away time and time again. May the Lord never grant a person who desires to send him away or her, a man or woman who has that desire. May he never grant him that wish because hell is packed with people who have sent Christ away over Pastor, that's good. Are there any other applications for me this morning? Yes, one last one, and I'll be done. And the preacher says, always, one more thing, and I'll be done. A word about oppression and possession to the believer. While you cannot be possessed by things like demons, it does not mean you cannot be possessed by anything. Let me see if I can be clear with this for just a moment. For some of us in this room, there are things that we desire. Not necessarily bad things, but things we desire nonetheless. And to not have those things has possessed us so that all of our actions, our money, and all those things, well, that's where our life centers are. We, we have no problem spending money towards those things because they possess us. You know, you if you're a if you're not a football fan, and I take you down to the University of Tennessee, and you're not really a Tennessee ball fan, and then we got to pay sixty dollars a ticket, you're going to grumble and complain the whole time. Man, I can't believe we got to pay sixty dollars a ticket. This is outrageous. I mean, they just, they just charge like ten dollars or five dollars at the football games at the high school. This is silly. You you rage against it because you want you got no interest for it. But for those who are possessed by it, sixty dollars is nothing. $10 for a hot dog is no problem. Your money just flies out. You're possessed by this thing, right? Or to those who, maybe it's a, an approval from a person. We as believers can sometimes be become possessed by longing for an approval from a person and God gets really small and people get really big. And we will do things we would never normally do, things that are out of step with a heart that wants to serve and desire Christ just for the approval of that person. So be careful. Because listen, while you may not be possessed by a demon, you may be possessed by a thing. The things sometimes, I like what one man said, sometimes the things we own end up owning us. So this morning, will you proclaim Christ in all things? Or will you proclaim Him in most things but send Him away on a few others? Or will you claim him in all things and ask him to help you never to send him away in all areas of your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage today, this text. Lord, may we never be possessed by things. May we be a people who are possessed by you. Lord, may we not be held captive by the fear of man, but may we be freed. Lord, may we not just love and relish our sin just continue to engage in that as this demon-possessed man did, Lord, but 
Help us today to be rid of such things, to be free in you alone. God, give us that desire. Lord, as we stand before you today, we worship you yet again. We know that we are being called, Lord, to, to proclaim you. If there's anyone here who has not done that, they have not prayed and trusted you, Lord, God, I ask that you would draw them to yourself at this time. Or if there's one who just wants to pray for deliverance from those things, maybe today's the first time they've said, you know, this storm is directly caused from my oppression, my possession by things that should not possess me. God, will you make that way as we sing in response? Please stand.